Praise the Lord. If you have a change of heart, let me know after service and we'll make sure you do it next time. All right. So listen, today we're going to talk about Jacob. We're talking about, you know, Abraham had two sons. He had Ishmael and Isaac. And the word says that Isaac pleaded with God for his wife that she would have Rebecca to have children. And the Lord answered with twins, two sons, Jacob and Esau. And with these two sons, their rivalry actually started before they were born, started in the womb. And in Genesis 25, 22, it says this, but the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. And she said, why is this happening to me? The Lord told her, the sons in your womb become two rival nations. One nation will be stronger than the other. The descendants of your oldest son will serve the descendants of your youngest son. And when the time came, the twins were born. God made it clear that these two were going to be at odds, and so were the descendants. As a matter of fact, when, when Esau was born first, Jacob, coming out second, was grasping his heel. And that became a Jewish idiom, a phrase like, uh, you know, biting the bullet, grabbing the heel means deceptive behavior. Because it was going to be through deceptive behavior that Jacob would gain things, would achieve, would advance himself. We'll see as we talk about him time and time again, he thinks it's okay to lie. And as we look, look at the interaction of these two brothers, there's going to be some really valuable teaching lessons for us, things that we, can, that we can become aware of in our own walk. His actions certainly lined up with this worldly phrase, the ends justifies the means. Let me be clear about this. That's an acceptable world phrase, but that is not a biblical phrase. The ends does not justify the means. And that brings me to my first point. You know, it's important to know as children of God that the Lord cares how we get from point A to point B. We should be wise in moving forward righteously in action and in word. We should walk this walk and live our lives, hopefully for Christ. As Christians, we should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that deception is of Satan. And as a new creation in Christ, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we should not want any part of that. We should have no desire to deceive. We should be on guard about telling lies. We should be on guard about those deceptive practices. And we shouldn't sugarcoat it either, because really, you know what? When you're misdirecting somebody or you're manipulating them, it's deception. And also there's this one. A white lie is still a lie. So we should be truthful with ourselves and not allow those things in our walk. As Christians, we need to be on guard against letting these worldly practices seep in. We need to be aware that the Lord sees everything And there's a price to pay for doing the wrong thing in God's timing. For Jacob, grabbing the heel was going to be a struggle. And I say that because, you know, it's obvious for us that it's wrong. But for him, it was the norm. Using it all the time. And then there's his brother. What about Esau? What do we know about Jacob's brother? When it comes to his brother, the scripture tells us he was, you know, he was a big outdoors guy. He was a skilled hunter. He brought home a lot of game. 
And because he could do that, he was Isaac's favorite. Jacob, on the other hand, he was the opposite. On the other words, one of the words used to describe Jacob was plain, which really was speaking to his disposition. He was the one who found pleasure in quiet life at home. And he was a favorite of his mother. And as far as each character, I mean the character of each man, the upcoming events are going to show who they are. Going to show the strength of their belief. Going to show their struggle with selfishness. And the first event really revolves around such a mundane thing as food. And it's one day, one day Esau's traveling. He's coming back from a returning from a hunting trip. Uh, he was exhausted, he's hungry, and he saw a lentil stew that Jacob was cooking. In Genesis 25:30, Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew you've made. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom Red. Jacob saw an opportunity here. Jacob replied, all right, but trade me your birthright for it. Look, I'm dying of starvation, he said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? So Jacob insisted, well then, swear to me right now that it's mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his younger brother. Now, it's important to take a moment, step back here, because we got to understand what birthright consisted of. It would be comprised of a double portion of his father's inheritance, rule over the entire family, the title, the blessing of promise, which included future possession of the land of Canaan and the covenant fellowship with Jehovah. This was a huge thing, not a small thing. It was of major importance, but evidently not for Esau, because he sold it for a bowl of red lentil soup. So as it says, Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil soup. Esau ate it, drank it, went about his business, indifferent to the fact that he had given up his birthright. Indifferent, which means he paid no particular, had no particular interest in it. Now these two, the rivalry was, had already started in the womb, and here we go, one taking advantage of the other. And, you know, I said that their rivalry was a picture of what was to come as far as nations. And here we see Esau picks up another name because he sold his birthright for a bowl of red lentil stew. And that nickname was, or name was Edom. And in the Hebrew, that means red. But from him would come the Edomites. And from Jacob would become the Israelites. And as a matter of fact, when the slaves were freed from, from Egypt, it would be the Edomites who told them they couldn't go through their land. Made them go around. So these two nations were going to be in many conflicts and have many battles, a lot of animosity. But just getting back to this and Esau and what he did, some people might think, what the heck, is he out of his mind? Why would you give away all this for a bowl of red lentil soup? Doesn't make any sense what he did. But actually... He was driven by worldly thinking. He was what we call carnal. It was all about looking at self-satisfaction. His choice doesn't make any sense unless you look at it through the eyes of the world, through the eyes of selfishness, motivation for self-fulfillment. When you look at the instant gratification, the drive-through at McDonald's and on your way, that's how he looked. He was at tunnel vision. He wasn't looking at the future. He wasn't looking at God's plan. He wasn't looking at anything. What was he looking at? 
He was hungry and the food was in front of his face. And he did what he had to do to meet the need. You see, people who seek that self-gratification, that instant gratification, it's all about meeting the physical need. It's all about quenching that desire. They get tunnel vision, they get zoned in on it, they get lasered on it, and they don't think about anything about consequences or, or anything surrounding it. Because all they want to do is get that done. Take advantage of that. Gave no credence to the spiritual, no credence to the importance of his birthright. Didn't consider the consequence of his action. He certainly demonstrated he didn't deserve the blessing. As Christians, the book of Hebrew gives us a warning about disregarding our inheritance, what we have through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 16, it says this, Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau. He traded his birthright as the oldest son for a single meal. And after it, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. And it was too late for repentance, even though he wept with bitter tears. Scripture's clear here that, man, if you reject Jesus Christ, sentence is final. And you die, it's done. Eternal separation from God, hell. As Christians, it's also clear that we shouldn't take for granted God's word, not giving it the spiritual credence we should, the spiritual weight that it deserves. We shouldn't take for granted what we have through Christ, eternal salvation. We shouldn't take for granted that, you know what, we're going to end up in heaven, and that's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. It should be the utmost importance in our life, and there should be this, this, this fire, this desire to share him with people who are lost because they're going to hell. Man, if you don't have that, if heaven's not of utmost importance to you, if you don't think about eternal salvation, if you don't think about all the things that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ, maybe you're more like Esau than you think you are. There are many things that God instructs us as believers, many things that are warning to keep us from harm's way, many things that help us to prepare for the spiritual battle that goes on around us, things concerning fellowship and his word and prayer, and we should not ignore any of it. We shouldn't downplay any of it. We shouldn't take away any spiritual weight that it has. As a matter of fact, we should recognize what it is and how important it is. We can't live this life that anything we see is the only thing that happens. We have to be aware that the Bible warns us that there's a spiritual battle raging around us that we can't see. And that causes us to walk in faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Amen. As Christians, we have to respect what is holy, keep our eyes fixed on Christ, not to ignore what is godly for the sake of satisfying the flesh. Not letting selfishness drive us to take actions. Listen, here's one word that should not be in the Christian vocabulary, and that's indifference. We should not be indifferent to sin. It should make us sick. And we should not be indifferent to holiness. 
should make us want to seek it. My second point is plain and simple. Don't be like Esau. Christians, we have the Spirit of God in us with a renewed mind. We must be careful not to jump because we desire something. But we should seek God in all choices and follow his word. Esau filled his stomach, sold his birthright. But for his mother, that wasn't enough. Oh, no. Yeah. For his mother, that wasn't enough for Jacob. Okay, he sold his birthright to Jacob, but Rebecca wanted more. Rebecca wanted to be rock solid on Jacob's position. She wanted to make sure Jacob was going to get the blessing. She wanted to make sure he was going to be in a position that he, she thought he should be. And she initiated a deception of Isaac, and Jacob played a role. She saw an opportunity when Isaac came to Esau and he said, hey, listen, go hunting for me, kill an animal, make my favorite dish. And after that, I will give you the blessing. And Rebecca heard that. She knows it's going to be given to Esau. She doesn't want to give it to Esau. She wants to give it to her favorite son, Jacob. And she comes up with a plan and she instructs Jacob on what to do. She's going to make one of Isaac's favorite dishes. And she's going to disguise Jacob as Esau. And she dresses him in his brother's clothes. And, and they put the hairy skin of young goats on his hands and the back of his neck. And Jacob walks in. She sees his father, a prepared meal in hand. He lies and he tells him that it's Esau. And Isaac examines him. And he can't see very well. It's like blind. And with questions such as, how have you hunted and prepared the meal so quickly? Jacob uses that old answer that none of us can argue with, God. Why are you doing this, God? And Isaac touches his hand and he feels the hairy goat skin. And he's believing that it's Esau's hand. And then Isaac says, come closer, give me a kiss. Why? Because he wants to smell him. He's wearing Esau's clothes. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of testing him, he says, are you really my son, Esau? And Jacob responds with, a yes. The father is fooled and he blesses him with this blessing. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and the abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you and be masters of your brothers. And may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. And Jacob was living up to his name, heel grabber. Selfish and he wanted the power. Now, it's interesting to note here, he's the one who gets blessed. He does want the power. But who is driving the machine? It's Rebecca. She already knew that the blessing was promised to Jacob by God and that his older brother was going to serve him. She already knew, but she was going to make it happen and make sure it was going to happen. She was the one who was privy to the information which led her to concoct a plan she was the one who ordered Jacob to do as she asked. She alleviated his fears that there'd be no consequences because if they got caught, she'd take the blame. She was the ultimate, as Bob said, lawnmower mom. She was going to mow the path for Jacob so that he could get to where she thought he should, he should be. And she deceived Isaac and she deceived Esau and she tempted to Jacob and he bit, tempted Jacob and he bit. 
Which brings me to my third point. God doesn't need us, need us to help him achieve his goal. Listen, if God's got a plan for us and wants to use us in achieving a goal, praise God. Amen. So many times we say, God, use me as the empty vessel, but we don't really want it the empty part. Just saying. God can use us, but he doesn't need us. And like I said, beginning in you know, Psalm 118.6, we also have to remember this. When God promises, it's done. When God says it, it's done. These promises that we have, and if you haven't read the Bible in a long time, I'm going to challenge you right now. Pick it up and look at the promises in the Bible for those who are children of God, for those who are Christian, because you can hang your hat on them. You can, you can just lean on those promises of God and know that he's not a liar. And a lot of it has to do with temptation. A lot of it has to do with addiction. A lot of it has to do with sin. God provides the power for you to make the right choices through the Holy Spirit. We forget that. We forget that. Rebecca was going to chart out the way. And for some of us, this is a problem because it's not fast enough. God's timing's not fast enough. Or for some of us, God's timing's too fast. Sometimes we often say, don't put the cart before the horse. Sometimes we want to find the best path for us our children, the people next door, whoever it is, and then we're going to prompt God to put us on it. Rebecca was definitely running ahead of God and waiting for God to catch up and compounding the problem on the way. Why? Because she was sinning. She was using deception to achieve her goal, and there was going to be a cost. For Jacob, he had an agenda to be large and in charge, and he lied to get there. For him, deceptive practices were a way of life, but Jacob is also going to pay a price. When you read this story, there was that one point where Jacob goes, I'm not sure if I want to do that. Listen, it wasn't conviction. He was afraid he was going to be cursed by his father if he got found out. And then his mom steps in and says, that's all right, I'll take it, I'll take the curse. And guess what? He's all in. As soon as Rebecca's willing to take the blame, he's all in. So as events unfold, events unfold, he gets blessing. He gets the greater blessing usually reserved for the firstborn. It's a blessing that was irrevocable, can't be taken back. And right after he leaves, Esau returns with the food that Isaac had requested. And guess who was not happy? And Esau says this in Genesis 27 about his brother. Esau said bitterly, no wonder his name is Jacob, for he has deceived me twice, first taking my birthright, now stealing my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants, and with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? Isaac already had in mind what he wanted to do, and it's likely more than likely, that he knew that the oldest son was going to serve the youngest son because God had said it. I'm sure that was shared with him. But why does he want to bless Esau? Maybe he thought God was going to change it or work it out. He probably never saw that he was going to be used in blessing Jacob. He wanted to bless Esau for one, one single thing, favoritism. That was his favorite son. 
And what was driving Rebecca to drive the machine to be the lawnmower mom that she was? Favoritism. It was her favorite son. You know, this topic came up in my last sermon, too, with Eli and his sons, and I'm going to address it again. We are warned about favoritism in the Bible for a good reason. In James 2.1, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people more than others? It says, don't do anything based on favoritism because your actions show that your motivation is wrong. And I said last time, I'll repeat it again. As a Christian, don't show favoritism and expect a good outcome. Don't show favoritism and expect peace. Don't show favoritism and expect fruit. Here's what you can expect. God to get your attention. And here's a biggie, and it's in his timing. There is this tendency as human beings that when we do something wrong and nothing happens right away, we're like, oh, I got away with that. God's timing. For the two parties involved, I said they paid a great price. You know, Esau had great animosity toward Jacob. And in verse 41, he says, Esau hated Jacob because he had stolen his blessing and said to himself, my father's soon going to be dead and gone. Then I will kill Jacob. So, of course, here we go again. Now she's a helicopter mom. Rebecca's listening. She finds us out. She goes and she says to uh, Jacob, listen, you need to go away to Haran to be with your uncle for a while until your brother's anger subsides. She tells him that she'll send for him when the time is right and just needs to go away for a couple of days. She even deceives Isaac because she's telling him he needs to go there because if he stays here, he's going to marry a Hittite woman and she doesn't want him to. So she's sending him where he can marry somebody that's OK, somebody that's acceptable. So she's still mowing the lawn. She's thinking she's, gonna, she's got it all figured out for Jacob's life. But she soon finds out this. God is God and she's not. And as a result of her deceptions and actions, that's the last time she sees her favorite son. Because those few days that she talks about turn into 20 years. And even when he does come home, she's dead. So she's out of the picture. Because of her deceit, her favorite son is not part of her life anymore. Well, because she thinks she can set the plan and have God follow it. You know, we have to be careful about manipulating the future, thinking we can. Thinking that we're going to guide the walk because where we end up may not be where we want to end up. For Jacob, yeah, he got the blessing, and then he couldn't go home for 20 years. He struggled, and even at that time with his uncle, he was deceived many times. You reap what you sow, that's probably a whole other sermon, Bob, right? (laughs) 
He's struggling, but at the same time, God's got a plan for him. And God speaks to Jacob through a dream, and he sees a ladder. We're, you know, and we're familiar with this term, Jacob's ladder, with angels moving to and fro on the earth, and the Lord standing at the top. But God gives him these promises concerning his future well-being and of his descendants and the land that he's going to give him and that his descendants would be numerous and that he was going to be protected and that he was going to return home safely. And after he wakes up, he does do this. He builds a memorial and he said, all right, God spoke to me. But he's still concerned about what's in front of his face, kind of like his brother. Genesis 28, 20, they said, Jacob made this vow. If God will be with me and protect me on this journey and give me food and clothing, and if he will bring me back safely to my father, then I will make him the Lord of my God. This memorial pillar will become a place of worshiping God, and I will give a tenth of everything he gives me. This is where Jacob's head's at. This is where his faith's at. God wants to return him to the land and give it to him. And where's he at? He's only concerned about getting back to his father's house. God has promised to protect him, to be with him only, but Jacob is concerned about having enough food and clothing. God is speaking about numerous descendants. Jacob doesn't even go there or address that. And on top of it, he says when God does his, you know, meets his promises, holds up his end, then he'll worship him. Safe to say that he's missing the big picture. He shows his insecurity. He shows his anxiety. He shows he's always worried about what's in front of his face. Always worried about the next little thing that's coming along. It's driving him nuts. He, preserves these, he perceives these little things as these huge hurdles. He's the Eeyore in some cases. It's always the bad thing. It's always the rain cloud. And this is something that we struggle with today. People struggle with anxiety with what's in front of their face. Do you realize how big God is? Do you realize how much power God has? Do you realize how much power you have in God? We struggle with worry over what our eyes see. We struggle with worry over not being able to mow the lawn flat enough for those around us. Seriously. We forget the promises of God that he has for us as his children. We forget the supernatural power of God. And when we do that, we start doubting his ability to step in and to take over. His ability to intervene and to heal. His ability to intervene and direct and to guide. His ability to say, hey, stupid, turn around. (laughs) And that's dangerous because we start doing our own thing. And we start planning out the way. And we start mowing the lawn. And we're not just doing it for us, we're doing it for everyone around us because we're trying to fix everyone. And that's not our job. I'm sorry, I'm yelling. I think... Listen, we don't want to start doubting God because when we do, we we doubt his ability to protect us. Come on, does God have us or not? 
We doubt his ability to guide us. Does God speak to us or not? We doubt his ability to heal us. Listen, if you don't ask, you will never know. Start doubting God. We start doubting his ability to provide for us. We get all out of bed, out of shape financially, right? God always comes through. It may be the 11th hour and we're having a heart attack, but God always comes through. So this brings me to my fourth and final point. And that's summed up in Psalm 118.8. It is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in men. Very simple to say. Not that simple to do. My fourth point, trust God, not men. My fourth point, fear God, not men. For us sitting here today, hopefully it's been obvious that deception and favoritism are destructive and they can seep into the church. They can, they're so sinful, they're so destructive, they're so divisive, and some of the consequences may not be seen for years later or months later, but it happens. As Christians, be on guard, call it out. When doubts are trying to seep in about all those things I talk about, you know what we should do? Press into God harder. When the doubts try to come in, pick up the word and read it and go, God, I know I can stand on your promises. We heard some, te- we heard some testimonies today of how God has delivered or how God has provided. And I'm, there's so many more in this body because I know so many of you and how God has answered prayers. Listen, when anxiety is trying to drive you in a direction, it's time to walk in faith and not by sight. As a matter of fact, close your eyes and just give it all to God. Trust in the Lord. This is the first part of this. The second part of this sermon I'll do next time is we're going to talk about when Jacob goes home and how what happens when repentance and when the Lord strips things away from you, how things pan out. You're going to see a major change. So just please bow your heads with me. Lord, I just thank you for this time together, Lord. I thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, put us on guard, Help us to walk in faith and to rely on you, Lord, and to know that you are, you are a supernatural God who works in supernatural power, Lord. Help us not to put you in a box, Lord. Help us to live that abundant life you have for us, Lord. Help us to know that we are, when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Lord, we love you. We love what you, Lord, all these, these testimonies that we hear, we just thank you for them. And we just praise your name, Lord. Lord, help us love one another as you love us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we all said, amen. Amen.